Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. On the bright side, the Pac 12 conference is wide open. I think uh, Oregon, along with Washington State, Arizona, UCLA, Colorado, maybe some others. All have a chance. Um, you know, I think the conference tournament's going to be outstanding. Dana Altman, Oregon basketball coach, joining us. Uh, for those of you who are interested, tonight, Oregon's got Washington. they got Washington, Washington State this week. But Washington tonight, 7 o'clock tip-off at Matthew Knight Arena. Be a fun game. Coach, uh, give us an idea. How do, You know, I mentioned it as being wide open. What do you see in the Pac-12? Well, I think it is. Uh, we're a game back. Uh, you know, Washington State's right there. Uh, Colorado, Utah, um, and then you mentioned UCLA, who's who's playing really, really well. So, um, yeah, it's it's a tight race, and you know, Arizona is the most talented team of the group. But uh, you know, on the road, they've been you know a little bit. Uh, vulnerable to some teams but they got us you know and that was that was a big loss for us that day but we'll have our shot down there but we've got to take care of business john we got to take care of business tonight against washington it was a one possession game in seattle and uh we're gonna have to play awfully well they're very talented and they got five grad students they're the whole oldest team in the league and so we're going to have to do a great job tonight. Yeah, give me. Let's speak about that for a minute because it used to be I would hear coaches talk about, "Hey, I want to get longer. We need to get bigger." And and now I'm hearing coaches say we need to get older. And of course, with the portal, you can. But you're you're going to lean heavily, I, I think, down the stretch here on Jackson, Shellstad, and and Kwame, and you've got some young guys that are talented. And you know, are are they ready to grow up? Well, they have to. Uh, you know, Jackson's done a great job. You know, but he's a freshman, and the bigger physical guards have have hurt him a little bit. He's learning to adjust and and play against the bigger, you know, twenty two, twenty three year old guards that are are just bigger and more physical. And uh, it's been an adjustment for him. And but he's doing a better job with it now. And you know, I, I thought he played okay at USC. I thought he played okay at UCLA, and they both tried to beat him up a little bit, and and he hung in there pretty good. Um, but he's got to play well for us. Uh, Keyshawn had a had an injury, so we're a little short-handed there at the point. And so Jackson's performance down the stretch is going to be, you know, really important to our success. And Kwame uh, been a little up and down, like most freshmen. Again, the physicality of the game. Uh, you know, he's trying to play inside, and the physicality of the game has affected him some, but. Uh, he's very talented, like you said. He's he's really skilled, can really pass it. And as he gets bigger and stronger, you know, he's really going to have a, a big effect on the game in, in future years. I thought, you know, I was at the Arizona game at home, and I thought there was a good crowd. There was some electricity in the building. You obviously, you know, you suffered a, a, a an injury that, that cost you down the stretch, and it was probably a disappointing outcome. But I, I kind of I liked the energy. It felt like there was good energy there. What does that mean to you when you're in the building? You know, you've got Washington tonight, Washington State on Saturday at 2 o'clock. Um, you know, to have that crowd show up, Coach. John, it means a lot to the players. Um, you know, they they get excited. We, 
it was our best crowd by far, and our guys probably got a little too excited. In fact, we got out of the block so slow, everybody was, you know, pumped up. And uh, But it, it, it means a lot to the guys, and uh, it means a lot to all our teams. You know, when you go to Autzen Stadium and it's full, you know, that's why they're tough at Autzen. You know, and we've had a good record at home. You know, we've we've done all right here. And college basketball is a home court sport. You see that every night. And, you know, the crowd probably has more effect on college basketball than any other sport. And people are right there. The emotion of the game, the intensity of the game. Uh, you know, I just don't know of a sport where it affects uh, the game more than uh, college basketball. Yeah, it was interesting, that game, that Arizona game, after the game, before the news conference, you're out on the court. There's some little kids that are playing. I don't know if it was one of your grandchildren or whatnot that was on the court, and the ball kind of rolled to your feet. You kind of had a smile. I mean, there's an innocence and there's a beauty to this game, right, the, at the core of basketball. And forget all the portal and NIL. We've talked about that. But when this game is played right, how fun is it for you to coach it? You know, I love practice. Um I love going to practice every day. Uh, the games are painful sometimes, but uh, practice is, is great. And, you know, we we had uh, some some kids in from the Children's Hospital this last week, and to see the guys, the look on their face, you know, working with those kids and that, uh, you know, it is. You know, it's seeing little kids excited about watching I got a two-year-old grandson, and he thinks Dante's the greatest. He walks around with his jersey on, and I'm Dante, and uh, so it it's it's great to see. And you know, I coached junior college ball for a long time, and and loved that. And um, you know, I've been fortunate to coach at really good places, and but to watch little kids get excited and to have high school kids come in and watch us practice and, and the camps in the summer, John, it's, it's good to see young people still loving ball and, uh, and playing, you know, for, for the love of the game. You know, we, we kind of have become a little more commercialized in, in college sports now, but guys still play because they love the game and they still get in gym extra because they love the game. And uh, that's still why you, you coach because you like to see guys, loving this particular game. In my case, it's basketball, but football. I'm watching the volleyball girls out here working now uh, with Jimmy Rad, And, you know, our volleyball team works so hard. And, you know, so no matter what the sport, just seeing the passion and the love for the game. You know, I, I go back, you know, Southeast Community College, 1976 to 1978. You get your start there. But I got to think you fell in love with basketball before that. I'm a, I was a community college kid myself. And so I, you know, I understand that level and the opportunity and the hunger and the dogs that are there at that level that are just trying to make it. But where did you fall in love with the game? What was your first exposure to basketball? Oh, man, I begged my dad to build a court in our backyard back in my hometown. And uh, it was the most used uh, basketball court uh, in the country, I think. We had kids all over the neighborhood and put a light up. And so we played all night and in the summer, you know, we'd play and sweat our tails off. And in the winter, you know, the ball would freeze and we'd have one 
on the radiator warming up so we could keep playing. And uh, so I've, I've always really enjoyed the game. I had a great high school coach, John, and that goes back. You know, the, the guys that really do a great job are the junior college or the junior high coaches and the high school coaches. You know, that's, that's where the love of the game, you know, if you're going to love the game. And I had a great high school coach, Dave Ullman, and I wasn't any good, but he worked with me all the time. And, uh, and then I walked on into junior college. I was a really bad player, but I just loved the game and wanted to play. And, John, do you know how bad you have to be to walk on into junior college? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's one thing to walk on at the University of Oregon or, you know, a great school, but I walked on into junior college and, um, you know, just because I loved the game and I wanted to play. And uh, so, you know, I, I started young. I, I loved the game and, and always have and wasn't planning on going into coaching, but uh, just couldn't see myself leaving the gym at, at uh, 3 o'clock every day. So I uh, got a GA's job and, and – uh, Fortunately, uh, you know, my career, I've got really good players, so we've had an opportunity to win a few games. Is there, it, because you were that kid who walked on at a community college, do you have a soft spot or an, an affection for kids that are walk-ons in your program or maybe they're three-star kids that, you know, they're not one-and-dones? Do, do you gravitate more to those kids and identify with them more? Oh, I, I, I love walk-ons. we got Gabe Reichel, who, who's from you know, Portland area, and he loves the game. I mean, counting degree, and he's already graduated, but, I mean, he's at practice. He knows his count report is good or better than anybody on our team. James Cooper had been with us, you know, from South Carolina, walked on. And so, yeah, I, I got a soft spot for those guys um, that are committed to our program. And, you know, it, it – Creighton, when I was there for 16 years, we had a lot of those guys that developed. We had a lot of five-year guys. Um, but the game's changed, you know. It's uh, not many guys want to stick around for five years, you know. And I often wonder, you know, how it would have been for, you know, guys like Chris Boucher, who, you know, junior college in four years, and, you know, Chris Duarte, uh, four years, Peyton, four years. Uh, Joe Young was a five-year guy. You know, you, you just start wondering, um, you know, the change today, would have those guys had, uh, you know, the perseverance to stay with it and, you know, go through the ups and downs? You know, you just don't know. And um, so you wonder, you know, what kind of effect, you know, guys changing schools all the time, you know, will have on guys developing and, and fighting through some adversity. Uh, so it's, it's just an interesting time. It's different. You know, I don't think it's bad. I think it's really good that players should get money. Um, I think that's been a long time coming. But uh, it just changes everything. And uh, we'll have to see the, the ups and downs and the positives and the negatives of, of guys jumping around a lot. You, uh, you're 65. You've got plenty of uh, runway on your contract. But, you know, I've had people ask me, you know, but why doesn't Dana just go coach college, junior college kids where he can just teach and coach? Why does he need all of this? And do you have a sense of how much longer you want to do it? Or how do you evaluate that? You know, I, as long as I feel like I'm the best guy for the job, I'll stay with it. Um, you know, if, if the people here ever want to make a change, I won't fight them. You know, I, I want to be where people are all in. And, um, 
you know, Rob's been great. The administration's been great. Mr. Knight, Mr. Kilkenny, uh, people that our program really depend on, um, have been great. Um, but I, you know, I want to be here as long as they want me here. And, you know, we've, we've got to do a better job though, John, you know, and I'll be the first one to admit it. You know, NIT is not our goal. And, and you can say, well, you've had injuries. You know, we've, we've got plenty of excuses, but we can't use them. You know, we just, we've got to get it done. And, um, so, you know, I've, I've got to do a better job. My staff, you know, we, we just got to be better. And, uh, so again, we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, uh, as all college coaches do. You know, I, I know Wayne down at Oregon State, man, he, he wants to win. Uh, guys in the league, Mick, those guys, they're all competitors. And so, you know, it's, it's a job where you got to put a little time in and got to get lucky. You know, you got to have really good guys that are all about the team and got to keep them healthy and, and they got to get along. You got to get a little lucky, but, uh, Hopefully we can finish strong here down the stretch. We got a great opportunity tonight against Washington, Washington State on Saturday. Uh, we got Colorado and Utah coming in here. We got to go to Arizona. Got to go to the Bay Area, John, which has always been a tough road trip for us. But uh, you know we've we've got our shot. You know we just we've got to be tough enough to take care of it. Washington tonight, seven o'clock, Matthew Knight Arena, Washington State. Saturday, 2 o'clock. Um, you know, I brought my wife and kids to that Arizona game. We got tickets for them. They were sitting. There's not a bad seat in the house. Like It is it is a really nice arena because I had not really seen it through the eyes of a fan. It's a really good experience. Great place to watch college basketball. Tonight, Washington. Saturday, Washington State. Uh, Dana Altman, good luck to you down the stretch. You're a game out of first place. Uh, a lot can change in a week. No, got to have a good week here. Got to take care of business at home, and uh, we got to keep getting better. And it's a lot of season left, and and we got to take care of business. And hopefully, you know, the guys are all in. It's it's a good group. I like working with them, and so hopefully we can make it happen. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate you joining us. Yep. Dana Altman, University of Oregon men's basketball coach. They are seven and four in conference play. They're sitting a game out of first place, trailing Arizona. Top four teams in the Pac-12 standings. Get a first-round bye in the conference tournament coming up in Las Vegas. That is going to be a free-for-all. We're going to talk Super Bowl and Super Bowl and more Super Bowl. All that ahead right here on the Bald Face Truth. Before we move on to the Super Bowl, um, you know, Stephen, I heard from Dana Altman there. I heard a coach who might might be coaching his last season. I I don't want to say it. I don't want to speak for him. I mean, he he said, um, you know, he talks about, thinking and feeling like he's got the energy and, you know, I'll coach as long as they'll have me, uh, but if they want me, gone. But I also am looking at a 65-year-old guy. I just I think so much of whether or not Dana Altman comes back has to do with the fact that, that um, you know, has to do with whether or not he has fun in the next month. This month is huge for his career trajectory. No doubt. And it's weird because I was talking to Jude about this, like, Remember when Jonathan Smith came on and it sounded like, you know, he was going to be out at Oregon State. And we all kind of took back and were like, that was kind of weird. Like, it was a weird thing to say and how he said it. Yes. And it was the same. I got the same vibes from Dana Altman right there. Like, you know what? I, I don't know if coaching in college basketball and this in the world and the era that we are, I don't know if it's for me. He, he talks about how he loves walk-ons, how he just loves coaching the game. Like, he would love to maybe just coach 
like a small high school team because it's all about basketball. It's all about improvement. I don't know if he's all about you know, coached on this level anymore. And he's done it everywhere he's been. He's been so successful in his career, but I'm with you. It sounded like, you, know, you can't say it for him, but it sounded like he's almost had enough of the NIL and the transfer portal world. It was really, right. really interesting to hear. Let's let's compare Jonathan Smith on this show on November 21st to Dana Altman on this show on February the 8th. Here's Jonathan Smith. Is, does that mean that you have not had contact with those schools or your agent hasn't or... You know, people were worried. They keep asking me, is he leaving? Is he yeah. leaving? I said, it's not his style. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. It's like, yeah. I've got an agent that's got a job. He best be finding out what, what is out there and, and people calling him, right? I mean, that's how that works. I can tell you from his, his side, he best be working just because I'm paying him so much, right? They get a percentage <laughs> of I'm making him a couple million bucks. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. so I'm not trying to be sarcastic. So, right. And I think any coach, they're aware of what's potentially out there through if, they're, if their agent's doing their job. And, again, I'm not trying to would have dodged the question or anything, but I'm also trying to be truthful here yeah. of how this thing works. All right. He was truthful, and I remember the conversation that we had immediately in the aftermath of that was, you know, uh, he's gone. Like, lo- yeah, like looking <laughs> you know, back like, and hearing that again, it's like, oh yeah, he was gone. At, like he was already gone at that moment. He and he knew it, and he he didn't even avoid it. He he kind of admitted it on the show. Like, yeah, I'm out of here. Here's Dana Altman today when I ask him uh, how much longer he plans to be at Oregon. You know, I uh, as long as I feel like I'm the best guy for the job, I'll stay with it. Um, you know, if if the people here ever want to make a change, I won't fight them. You know, I, I want to be where people are all in. And, um, you know, Rob's been great. The administration's been great. Mr. Knight, Mr. Kilkenny, uh, people that our program really depend on um, have been great. Um, but I you know, I want to be here as long as they want me here. And, you know, we've, we've got to do a better job, though, John. You know, and I'll be the first one to admit it. You know, NIT is not our goal. And... And you can say, well, you've had injuries. You know, we've, we've got plenty of excuses, but we can't use them. You know, we just, we got to get it done. And um, so, you know, I've, I've got to do a better job. My staff, you know, we, we just got to be better. Uh, I still think if he has a good finish to this season, there's a shot Dana Altman sticks around, fulfills, you know, another year of his contract. But I think if it's more misery like it was the last two years, NIT ending at the end of the season last year, two years ago, I think he did not like his team. I, I think, you know, I think if he were, we put a lie detector test on Dana Altman and we said, did you hate your team? He, and he lied and said, well, well, I, I really enjoyed that team. It'd be like, wah, 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 you know, be going crazy. FBI would be like, no, nope. <laughs> he hated his team. I just don't think he liked the locker room, didn't like the team. Now he's got a team that's better, but. He's got to figure out now how what he can get out of Jackson Shellstead as a freshman in Folly Dante uh, Dante in his last year, and you know is it enough to be a top four seed? Is it enough to be one of those four teams, three four teams that get to the tournament? Uh, to me, John, it, he answered the question the first two seconds with that gasp. He's uh, like he just I think he like that sound to me is like yeah I don't I'm done like I don't I don't like this I don't like this type of air that we're in right now and may, maybe I just me looking too much into it and assuming things but 
he had to think about it and he really groaned like, man, like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm over this. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what he does because he's been such a successful coach. But it's so different nowadays. And, and it's a different game. It's, it's a different, different job. Game. It's a different game. And so I don't know if he's ready for that to go keep going forward because it takes a lot out of you. It's a 365-day-a-year uh, job now. Let's play some punch it audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Russ Tucker went on 95.7 FM, The Score, with, and he said he would like the 49ers. In fact, they'd be more likable if they stopped complaining. Russ Tucker complaining about the complaining punch it. the Niners could be a really likable team if they would just stop complaining all the time about what about everything <laughs> give us Get, an example okay well, uh, the field, the practice la- no, field. No, no, no. last week last week well first of all all you heard from any Niner all offseason every Niner player or fan was the only reason why they lost to the Eagles was because because both quarterbacks get hurt my recommendation would be to not let your quarterbacks get hurt okay not let the defense kill your quarterbacks then and they talked about all offseason okay then next thing we have last week they asked Bosa his impression of uh the Chiefs offensive line he's like they hold a lot. Yeah. Then they asked Jed York what he remembered from the Super Bowl four years ago. I remember Nick Bosa being held on third and 15. They're uh, always whining uh, or complaining about stuff. Now this week, what do we have? The practice field isn't good. Right. It's the Super Bowl. You're barely practicing anyway. They're doing like a walkthrough. Hey, give me a break. And then today now they had the alarm pulled. You got you to sign it. That happens every You got to see my post, at Ross Tucker NFL. Right. I said, well, at least now, if, if the Niners lose, now we know why. It changes everything. The Thursday alarm pull, that changes everything. Well, I mean, they, they, at least they have their built-in excuse. I would like to call Russ Tucker's attention to Patrick Mahomes uh, in, the, uh, in the wake of a loss and a penalty called uh, uh, against the Buffalo Bills in a football game in the regular season. No, I mean, that, the thing is, I'd rather like, let, let us play, man. Like, let us play the game. And then whatever happens, happens. Like, the whole throwing the flag and deciding the game one or another, um, that, that, that's what hurts me. That's why, like, last week I didn't say anything because it's, it's letting us play, man. Let us, let us go out there and win the game. And I said I'd rather them let us play and go out there and, and see who wins. I mean, that's what you want as a competitor is you, you practice all week to go out there and try to win. And uh, you want it to be about the, your team and that team and see what happens. No disrespect to Josh Allen, but let me disrespect Josh Allen by bellyaching about the officiating. Look, I think, I think all players complain. I think the 49ers are trying to create the narrative or cast the narrative, at least internally, that they are not the favorites, that they have been dissed by the NFL with the practice field. I think, uh, you know, Nick Bosa is trying to call the attention of the Chiefs potentially holding to the officials more than anything. And I think, too, when you look out, um, when you look out at this officiating crew that's going to have the game for the Super Bowl, um, you know, the regu- this crew typically averaged in the regular season the fewest or close to the fewest flags per game. The the crew that we're going to have on this game averaged 13.4 flags per game. Seventh fewest in the NBA, according to ESPN Stats and Information. 
So I think Bosa's trying to call attention to the fact that, like, hey, he don't want to be held hard enough to catch Patrick Mahomes. But it's Super Bowl week, and Ross Tucker has the platform. Ed McCaffrey, father of Christian McCaffrey, talking about being a dad, watching his son compete for a championship. Punch it. You're right. There's nothing I can do. And I ha- we have four boys. Lisa and I have four boys. We've watched thousands of their games over the years. And in the beginning, you get overly nervous. And at some point, you might get so nervous that you lose the fun of mm-hmm. being a parent. And, a- and you're not really helping them if-, if you're nervous. So we try to be positive, have good energy, appreciate where we are, yeah. and just be there to love them and support them. But yeah. you're right. There's nothing we can do. Nothing so, you can yeah. do. Yeah. Parenting 101 from Ed McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey comes into this game as the key, I think, for the 49ers on the offensive side of the ball. Everybody talking about Brock Purdy. You have to run the football. If the 49ers can run the ball, it opens everything else up. It's what they do first. They remind me a lot of Oregon State in that way. I think Oregon State runs a lot of the 49ers stuff, if you're an Oregon State fan. Uh, We had Jack Coletto on the show this last season. He talked uh, about seeing... Sort of the, uh, the you know the the film over the years of the 49ers plays that they would study under Jonathan Smith. That'll now be a, a Michigan State thing. Big game. Chad Ochocinco says he wants the Chiefs to win. Patrick Mahomes fan. Punch it. I would love to see the dynasty talk continue with the Chiefs. So okay. I would like Patrick Mahomes to do what he's always done. He, hasn't, he doesn't have to do anything extra. He's already dynamic in his own right. But I would love for them to play Kadarius Tony to take some of the pressure off of him and add another component to that to them, for them offensively. I, I you think he can catch? Sorry, real quick. You think he could catch Tom? Yes. Oh yeah. Really? Absolutely. absolutely. But not the ring count. Absolutely. I think he got he's a chance. Well, it's a big one for Mahomes if he's gonna catch him. I mean, we all know how fleeting Super Bowl opportunities are. But, you know, it's a 12-5 49ers team against an 11-6 Chiefs team. These are both two really good teams, two really good quarterbacks. Joe Montana, another good quarterback, talking about the advice he would give to Brock Purdy. Listen to this. Punch it. Don't do anything different than you've been doing. I mean, I think I like what he's been doing. He, he has found a way to understand what that offense is about, and the people around him can only make him better. You know, his job is to find a way to get the ball to those guys. I mean, that's... Typically how Bill's offense worked when we had Jerry and John Taylor. I mean, those guys could – John Taylor goes twice over 90-plus in the Ram game. I threw two seven-yard passes on a slant. <laughs> it, but in the books, yeah. I got 190 yards yeah. of passing and two touchdowns. Yes. <laughs> Not a bad thing if you're Golden Joe Montana. System guy who had all the poise, made all the right throws. Did he have the strongest arm? Nope. Did he win? Yes. One big. Will there be comparisons between Brock Purdy and Joe Montana if Brock Purdy can win the Super Bowl? Uh, look out for that more more so than the comparisons between Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes should Mahomes win. Do you think Brock Purdy can only lose the Super Bowl and not win the Super Bowl? No, I think he can win. I think I I think there's a lot at stake for Brock Purdy. I think if he loses the game, it's just going to reinforce sort of the same narrative that came out of the 49ers last loss in the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo there and I think it's important to Purdy to win I, th- I do think he elevates he wins becomes a building block for him uh, no matter what anybody says I think you know he gets a Super Bowl appearance I, I I shudder to think about what the narrative would have been on Joe Montana really literally with a team that included 
you know, Jerry Rice and John Taylor, you know, if he doesn't go to the Super Bowl in 1982 in Pontiac, Michigan, Super Bowl 16, and win with Freddie Solomon and Earl Cooper, does is this the narrative on Montana's career? Like, oh, he had great teams around him. He was in Bill Walsh's offense. Walsh was a genius. Like, I think, I think there's too much made of that. I think you win a Super Bowl, you win a Super Bowl. But Patrick Mahomes is a amazing obstacle that is in the way of the 49ers. And that has nothing to do with Brock Purdy. It has more to do with the 49ers defense. So there's no chance if Brock Purdy loses and looks bad that going into next season there's questions on if he's the guy for the 49ers. Like he's No, the, I mean no, I think there is. I you, but you asked me can he only lose? Like I think if he wins the game he does, you know, he wins big right. time. You think you if know? he loses there's a chance like there's there's talk like Brock Purdy can't be the guy for the 49ers. No. No, because I think he's done some things already that Garoppolo did not. And I, I think if they lose this game it's going to be more about what was there a breakdown on defense? Did they give up thirty points to Patrick Mahomes? And you know, and you know, is it a defensive issue? This team's getting expensive already. That's part of the problem for the Forty ers Is the blessing of Brock Purdy is that he, you know, he's making less than a million dollars. But the curse is the rest of this team, led by Nick Bosa, uh, is getting expensive. You know, and I was looking at the salaries of the of the Forty ers teams like it's. It costs you money to win. And when you start looking at the 49ers payroll and you, you start to see like Debo Samuel and Nick Bosa and uh, Trent Williams, uh, offensive tackle, like it takes you a long time to get to Brock Purdy. But I, I don't think he's part of the problem. I think he allows them right now with his contract to spend on other positions. But it just depends. Like, you know, is it a performance like he had on Christmas Day against the Ravens? Then, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of talk. But I don't first. I don't see that for him in this game. I think the Niners will run the ball. I think it's going to be a really close game. I think it's a one-score game. So it just comes down to can the defense stop Patrick Mahomes enough times? Pivoting to the NBA, Patrick Beverly traded to the Bucks. He wants to win a championship. Punch it. Hey, so who else on the team? That you quit? No, 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 no. It's Dame, Giannis. No, I got to get my relationship right with Dame. <laughs> got to get my relationship right with Dame. Better time with a championship. Patrick Beverly, who has a beef with Damian Lillard, headed to Milwaukee. Do you find this the most interesting move of the deadline? Um, I don't, but it is an interesting one because the Bucks do need a perimeter defender. It... Beverly and Dame goes back a while, John, like before even the bubble. The bubble really like solidified it when he was laughing at Dame after Dame missed two clutch free throws. Remember, Beverly was on the sidelines laughing at him because the Blazers ended up losing the game. And then there was some beef on, I believe, Instagram, you know, talking about one, two, three Cancun. And there, there's been some back and forth between those two. They definitely don't like each other. So I want to see how they do uh, get along with one another. I, that was pretty funny that Beverly has, you know, at least Beverly's the bigger man right now, John. He says, he's, I got to fix it with Dame. So we'll see what, see what Dame is uh, receptive to that or not. Who is, what's the biggest deadline move that you saw? I think it was, uh, it was Dorian Finney-Smith to the Suns. I, I think the Suns are a true contender now. They needed a guy on defense that doesn't worry about, or sorry, it was Royce O'Neal, not Dorian Finney-Smith. Royce O'Neal. Um, 
they needed a guy who who played defense, and he that's what he does. He's a perimeter defender, doesn't need the basketball, but he can also hit a jump shot when he has to. And it's a three-point jump shot league. He's going to be able to fit in with that lineup. And you got Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal. I think it's huge for the Phoenix Suns to get a guy that plays defense and doesn't have to get the basketball because they already have guys that can score. They need the guys that can defend. So I think that does actually elevate the Suns into the top tier in the NBA. Nobody played with more tempo than the Oregon Ducks under Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly interviewing for multiple offensive coordinator jobs. Does he is he not happy at UCLA? Apparently not happy in college football. Nick Aliotti joins Seattle Sports. He was asked, would Chip Kelly's offense work in the NFL? Punch it. Chip is very, very innovative. He's a smart guy, and he stays with the time. So if he so gets that job in the NFL, uh, he'll know what he has to do to tweak to, to make it be NFL ready. But the thing about Chip, when we were at Oregon, I cannot even explain to you how fast we went because we would barely be getting back to the line of scrimmage and the next play would be snapped. And we did that over and over and over to where our tempo, and I really mean this, I don't think there was any any faster tempo offense than what we did at Oregon. Chip Kelly, smart coach. I think the bigger takeaway from Chip Kelly interviewing for jobs is not about where he ends up, but about like what must be going on at UCLA. Is he that unhappy at UCLA? I did not get that impression in conversations with him or conversations with officials at UCLA, who I think were have been concerned in prior years about you know his performance on, on the field and not. But doesn't the timing say everything about his 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 happiness at UCLA? If he leaves UCLA at this point. Like, after all the signing periods, transfer window, oh, yeah. like, that is a big FU to UCLA, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, yeah, it leaves them in a bind. Martin Jarman, the athletic director there, I know he has showed up to team workouts and kind of walked through the workout area to kind of give his guys a vote of confidence, like, hey, you're not alone, I'm here with you, and then, you know, but Chip's around too. It's just going to be a weird year, you know, no matter what happens. A little bit of a controversy in college football, Kirk Herbstreit, you know him from ESPN, apparently reached out to Dominic Raiola, who is the father of Dylan Raiola, who committed to Nebraska after he committed to Georgia. It's a report that has been circulating, and certainly Dominic Raiola talking about Herbstreit's involvement. He says Herbie encouraged Dylan to go to Nebraska to make the flip, punch it. Bring up one guy's name. His name's Kirk Herbstreet. When he saw he saw the smoke uh, about Dylan entertaining Nebraska, he was like, called me. He said, "Dude, is this true? He got to do it. You know, he got to do it. He he his affinity for Nebraska uh, for a guy like that to tell me and to you know get behind me. Like I knew I knew he needed to do it, but I wasn't going to sit here and say you need to go change that place or be a part of the change at that place." Um, so when Kirk told me that, you know, I was like, man, you know, this is, I've had people reach out, other coaches reach out, reach out to me and say, look, the place is special. Coach rules a special leader. Look, I think it's really, um, if true, inappropriate for Kirk Herbstreit to be steering a recruit to one school or another school. 
It's a boundary violation. He shouldn't be involved in this. If I had high school athletes or college athletes ask me, how do you think I would fit at this school? What is it like at that school? Yes. Have I ever proactively reached out to a recruit and said, man, if the, if this is true, your guy's got to go. You got to go. Dude, no. Herb Street's in a little bit of trouble. And I think people are already kind of turned off by the act in general. You know, he's got his dog at the games. He's, you know, he's sparring with the Florida State fans. Not a good look. Now he's involved in this thing. Uh, Steven, what do you make of it? Yeah, I don't like any of it. I don't like the fact that, it, you know, Dominic even said Kirk reached out to me. Like, Kirk went out of his way to call him and say, yeah, Dylan needs to go to Nebraska. Like, that, it, I don't know, man. We all, I always, I hate people that say things are rigs and there's conspiracies. But, man, when things like this happen, sometimes it seems like it is a little rigged, right? Like ESPN or Kirk Herbstreit have some type of agenda. We already know that ESPN has an agenda with certain conferences. The Pac-12 always got shut out. They got the worst cameras than everybody else. Now we're going to have Kirk Herbstreit in the, in the recruiting battles? I don't know, man. I, I don't like it. I don't like the whole dog thing all the time. Now he's trying to be like an everyman. Yeah, you're on private jets, bro. You're, you're not just like me and you. You're, you're way above me. Now you're bringing your dog. I don't know. He's rubbing me the wrong way a lot this season just with all the conference realignment stuff. So I'm with you on this on this one a lot, John. I, I'm really getting tired of Kirk, man. I, I want him to change a little bit. Yeah, it's a, it's, it, it's a hard spot for him to be in. I'm going to be honest here. Like, it's a hard spot position for him to be in. He's not going to make everybody happy. Not everyone's going to like him just by virtue of the fact that he's on game day, part of ESPN's shoulder programming, the face of their biggest games every week. It's going to put him in the spotlight, and it's going to have people walk into the conversation ready to, you know, and armed with, uh, you know, some accusations. Like, people are going to think he's biased no matter what, just by virtue of, you know, he makes picks, he calls games, you know, he's part of the programming. He's part of the, uh, the you know, the game day, the biggest show on ESPN. And, and he's got to be more careful here. He should not be going out of his way to make calls like this. He should not be sparring with Florida State fans on social media. It's a bad look in a number of ways. Anna's popping into the studio. The 5 at 5's coming up. We'll talk Super Bowl and Super Bowl and more. In the 5 o'clock hour, Demi Lawrence from the Portland Business Journal will be with us. She has interviewed the mayor of Beaverton today, asked about Major League Baseball to Beaverton, and uh, got some feedback on that front. Uh, is the mayor of Beaverton behind the effort? <laughs> We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.